Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. What a show we have tonight. I'm John Fugelsang. Thanks so much for being with us. This is the show that brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. We are joined, as always, by our extremely awesome producer, Chris Hauselt, in South Carolina, Thea Harper, in Brooklyn, taking your calls for the next three hours. I think we have a lot to talk about tonight. I think we have a lot to cover. I think we have a lot to process. I think we have a lot to, if you'll forgive me, unpack. Um, I want to know how you feel about the ongoing Fellini film our country has turned into. Really good show tonight. Dr. Uh, Ali Michael and Dr. Eleonora Bartley are the co-authors of Our Problem, Our Path, Collective Anti-Racism for White People, a very powerful new book that's sort of like a textbook, and it's kind of brilliant for white people who actually give a damn about racism in the country. There are two kinds of people, aren't there? The white people who are okay talking about racism and the white folks who get really tense whenever you bring up the subject of racist white people for some reason. Also, Angela Corazon, one of our favorite guests, the Mac Daddy of uh, Media Matters. We are going to be talking quite a bit about the right-wing response to yesterday's historic warrant search on Donald Trump's property. We're trying to avoid using the word raid because we don't want to feed the myth machine and the martyr machine. Let's do a show. And before we begin, this portion of the show is brought to you by Defending Donald Trump After the Search Warrant. Yeah, the FBI obtained and executed a search warrant on the home of a former president of the United States. It's never happened. It's unprecedented. In fact, I would say the most unprecedented thing about this decade is our unprecedented abuse of the word unprecedented. But there's never been an involuntary search of a former president's home that I can think of as part of a criminal probe by the Justice Department. But a judge agreed with evidentiary assessments of both an agent and a prosecutor that, yes, there was, in fact, reason to believe there was evidence of a crime at beautiful Mar-a-Lago. And now, Republicans, this is the time to rally around Donald Trump and give your unconditional blind support to our supreme unchallenged leader. That's right. National Review editor Rich Lowry tweeted it. Trump is winning the FBI raid caucus going away. We'll learn more. But this is his best day in pursuit of the 2024 nomination in a long time. That's right, MAGA Megas. Donald Trump's got the martyr thing going again. And now he's a victim, which means he needs your money and he needs your support. And this goes for you, Republican politicians. All of Trump's top rivals for the GOP 2024 presidential nomination are defending him like a mama bear defending her cubs, even though they have 
have no evidence that he's the victim of any kind of political persecution. And there is no evidence that the Biden Justice Department is in any way doing anything illegal. Now, if you're a Republican politician, we know how it is. You would love this guy wiped off the map. You can't stand Donald Trump. You know how stupid he is. But... You know you have to be outraged. You know, Republican politicians, you've got to be overflowing with righteous umbrage to court the precious Donald Trump's MAGA fan base. And boy, howdy, are they frothing at the mouth over this new deep state shenanigans. So are you ready, Republican politicians, to get really mad even if you hate Donald Trump, even if he's insulted you, even, I don't know, maybe you're a senator and he's insulted you, your wife and your dad? Well... You are politically obliged to be outraged Republicans, so get in line. Like Mike Pence, who said, yesterday's action undermines public confidence in our system of justice. Ho ho. Wow, it's not like they were trying to hang him. Now, of course, uh, he says then, Attorney General Garland must give a full accounting to the American people as to why this action was taken, and he must do so immediately. Right on, VP Pence. Of course, Trump could just release the warrant to the public because he has a copy of it, and that would answer that question. It'd be totally legal. But he chooses not to, so let's be outraged. Florida Senator Marco Rubio said, Using government power to persecute political opponents is something we have seen many times from third world Marxist dictatorships. Very good, Marco. Extra point for the word third world. Extra point for the word Marxist. Now you're getting the hang of it. Mark Levin. Mark Levin told Fox News host Sean Hannity last night this was the worst attack on this republic in modern history. No one tell Mark about 9-11. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said the raid on Mar-a-Lago is another escalation in the weaponization of federal agencies against the regime's political opponents, while people like Hunter Biden get treated with kid gloves. At least that's what I thought he said. It was hard because he kept bursting out into giggles and then covering it up. The Republican outrages across the board. Stephen Miller called it an abomination. And he would know what one of those looks like, don't you think? Texas Governor Greg Abbott said this is next level Nixonian. And House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy. Oh, he said the Justice Department has reached an intolerable state of weaponized politicization. What's he going to do about it? He's going to weaponize it. When Republicans take back the House, we will conduct immediate oversight of this department. Then he added, Attorney General Garland, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. Listen to that. So you're saying Kevin Merrick Garland shouldn't flush any documents down the toilet or illegally bring them home, and he should be prepared to respond to a congressional subpoena. Okay, I got it. And the House Judiciary GOP tweeted, if they can do it to a former president, imagine what they can do to you. Which is a good point. I'll be sure to never steal 15 boxes of classified docs from the National Archives so a judge can easily grant a warrant so they don't do it to me. Get on board, Republicans. Be very angry and defend Trump. Defend him with everything you've got. Don't worry about what facts might come out. Go all in. Put your reputation on the line for Donald Trump's honesty. Put your political future. Bet it on Donald Trump's lack of any any criminal activity. And are you a disgraced Democrat? Do you want a gig in conservative media? Join the bandwagon. Rod Lagojevich and Andrew Cuomo are going to save you a seat. And you can do this anywhere, anytime, even if you're not a Republican politician or media figure. Let's say you're an ordinary MAGA guy who votes for Donald Trump because he fights for you so much. Just start saying the right words. Civil War. Banana Republic. Lock and load. Marxist. Work on longer phrases like any evidence they found was planted or defund the FBI 
And of course, Hunter Biden. And if you can, please try to pronounce Hunter Biden, if possible, in all caps, so we know you mean it. And don't worry, the fundraising emails for Mr. Trump are on their way. And remember, all Republicans, what the American public at large thinks about President Trump doesn't matter. If they think an attempted violent overturning of an election and rampant activity worthy of a judge granting a warrant for criminal investigation from federal authorities is a bad thing, you call them Marxists. And don't be like Chris Christie, who said, I trust that it had to have been, and I hope they understood the implications from a policy perspective for the Justice Department. It's fair game. Don't be like Tim Scott, who said, we need to let this play out and see exactly what happens. Those guys are more focused on their political futures than owning the libs. Look, in 27 months, Donald Trump managed to lose the White House. He lost the House. He lost the Senate. And he got impeached twice. That's the team you want to be on. Stake all you've got on Donald Trump's integrity right now, Republicans. Make sure you do it publicly so future historians will know. You stood up for this guy and every member of MAGA, every Republican sycophant who's outraged that an FBI search warrant could even suggest that Donald Trump might be a criminal. This might be a good time to prove your loyalty and make a substantial donation to Trump University and the Trump Charitable Foundation. Give Trump a lot of money right now. It'll own the libs. That's essentially the message you're getting all over Fox News right now. The umbrage machine has been turned to 11. And admittedly, a lot of Democrats are freaked out. Wow, Joe Biden's been actually making all this progress by doing shit for the American people. Gas prices have gone down for 52 days in a row. Biden just signed the chips bill today. I mean, that's going to be really historic. Think about all the manufacturing that's bringing to the country. We should be talking about these things. But we're not. We're talking about how MAGA world is flipped out. Now, is there anything white heterosexual men like more than pretending to be an oppressed minority? No. <laughs> so there's a couple ways to look at this. One is, oh, my God, now MAGA is mad, right? The left got mad because Roe v. Wade was gutted. So the left got organized and now watch Trump's numbers go up. Trump has been fundraising off this thing so hard. Folks, he's milking this so hard. My nipples hurt. The other way to look at it is, let's see what comes out. Because, look, any decision to request a search warrant was vetted through the top ranks of the Justice Department, right? I mean, all the way up to the AG. And a federal judge authorized this search. I mean, if the FBI decides a search warrant should be pursued as part of an investigation, what, what happens there? An agent will swear to the truthfulness and accuracy of any affidavit They file in support of getting a search warrant from a judge, right? You put your career on the line for one of these because you have probable cause. And once you get the go-ahead by a prosecutor, the FBI agent gives the application for a search warrant to a federal judge. A lot of people's reputations are on the line here. And judges ask a lot of follow-up questions because they don't want to fuck up either. And if it's clear that the judge agreed with the assessment of the agent and the prosecutor that there's reason to believe there was evidence of a crime at, oh, I don't know, Mar-a-Lago, then, yeah, you get a search warrant. Here's what we don't know yet. Why, why this raid? Why now? I mean, what does the FBI know to justify this raid? What were the agents looking for? And, 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 and what did they find? And if it is the improperly taken documents, why get a search warrant for it now? Of course, the big question is, will this lead to charges 
against the former president. Hmm. For me, there's the stuff we know and the stuff we don't know, right? But for me, it's all about the maybes. Because maybe they do have the goods on Trump. Maybe he is going to be prosecuted. Maybe they're trying to take him out. Maybe it is just Biden being craven and destroying his own legacy by doing something so obviously punitive. Or maybe, just maybe, there are so many more crimes than we know about. But, but let me give you one more maybe. You know, uh, let's think about the people who own this country. Let's think about the real oligarchy. Because Donald Trump's not an oligarch. Donald Trump's the guy who owns the golf courses the oligarchs go to. And he pretends he's one of them and he embarrasses them. Maybe the people who own this country who kind of own the two-party system, maybe they're tired of this guy. He's bad for business. And that's why maybe they're doing this to crush him like a bug, or just maybe, maybe, in our game of maybes, they're playing chess, and this is check, not checkmate. But if the feds have downloaded his hard drives at Mar-a-Lago, there's a very good chance they have anything they want to put Donald Trump away for a variety of reasons. That's like Alan Weisselberg on ecstasy who can't shut up. Maybe this is a game of chicken. And now the people who own our country have compromat on Donald Trump, just like Vladimir Putin. He's bad for business. This is a great way of saying we're never going to prosecute you. You're never going to jail. Now sit down and shut up. Go ahead and raise all the money you want. Say whatever you want in the media. Go ahead and raise money and go give rallies. You're not running for president. We'll see. Oh, and one more thing. We were so busy talking about the search warrant, we kind of missed the story that a federal appeals court today signed off on the House Ways and Means Committee request to get Trump's tax returns. That's right. The IRS is finally sending Trump's tax returns to Congress. You know those returns he promised to release in 2015 and 2016 and 2017? Well, a three-to-nothing ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. This is a huge blow to Trump. He's argued for years against releasing his tax returns. He spent so much money on so many lawyers, so many billable hours to keep his tax returns secret, to keep you and we, the people, from knowing where he gets his money. By the way, he had a trial-level judge he appointed while president who also rejected his arguments in this case. They ruled that the House Ways and Means Committee can get his tax returns from the IRS. And this, I mean, this is not the last chapter, but this is the next chapter, and this could be every bit as big as a search warrant that we're trying to not call a raid. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, so let's be serious. For many of us, protesting and social justice means typing something and hit enter. And it's great to oppose racism. But of course, over the few last couple of decades or so, we've begun to hear more and more this beautiful, beautiful, wonderful, loaded phrase, anti-racism. It's a term that says it's not just enough to not be the bad thing. If you want to be the good thing, you have to oppose the bad thing. Ellie Wiesel covered this topic quite seriously. And neutrality always takes the side of the oppressor. Now, of course, Caucasian people have to have meaningful relationships with people of color and native people, but they also have to have meaningful relationships with other white people because our systems that we were born into were shaped by institutionalized racism. Whether you are against racism, whether you're anti-racist, whether you're a complete racist, we as Caucasians, and this is awkward to talk about, we're all born into the same fucked up situation together. We were all given different tools. We all had different ways of decoding how the world was designed to work on behalf of white people here. And I found there's really two kinds of uh, Caucasians. There's the ones who are comfortable talking about racism. And then there's the ones that get very tense and uncomfortable and sometimes angry if you even bring up the subject. How do you make sense of it? And how do you make sense of dealing with the other white folks in your life who don't want to be racist. They were just maybe raised that way. Well, I, I'm, I'm gushing because I love the book that our two next guests have written. Um, Elena Bartoli is a Bartoli. I'm so sorry. Is a consultant and licensed psychologist who specializes in trauma and resilience building. And throughout her career, she's held leadership positions in professional organizations at both the state and national level. Uh, also, her co-author is Ali Michael, co-director of the Race Institute for K through 12 educators, which works with schools and organizations across the country to help make research on race and whiteness in education more accessible and relevant to educators. Together, they have made a boom. Uh, it's like a textbook for basic morality. It's called Our Problem, Our Path, Collective Anti-Racism for White People. It is an invitation for all kinds of Caucasians to join them on an anti-racist journey to create real change without creating enemies along the way. My God, this book will make Twitter easier for everyone. Doctors, it is a pleasure to have you both. Thanks for joining us. Oh, such an honor to be here. Thanks, John. So fabulous to be here. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, I love the book and I love that you wrote it. I, I want to ask just on the most basic level to ease our listeners into what you've done here, because I think everybody should own this. And, and uh, first off, how was this book conceived and what is the relevance of the title? Well, I mean, our relationship is 25 years long and we, you know, have been playing this role for one another throughout our lives where we are white people who check in with each other about how to be how to make choices in our daily lives about that that will lead in the direction of racial justice. We're under no delusion that we're going to solve systemic racism, but we both want to uh, be people who are working for racial justice. And that's a really hard thing to do by yourself. And so, you know, after George Floyd was murdered, 
we were both kind of distraught and at odds with like, well, I mean, what, what do we even, what do we even do? Like, why am I educating people? I should be a lawyer. I should be a lawmaker. I, I should, you know, I should do, I'm in the wrong field. And um, I actually had a colleague who's a native woman who said, Allie, you anti-racism is a practice. It's a daily practice. You get yeah. up and you you engage it on a daily basis and you do what you can. And as Eleanor says, you do what you can where you are with who you are. And so what we're trying to say is racism is our problem as white people. Thank and you. this comes from James Baldwin. It's it's he says, you know, racism is not actually a person of color problem. It's really a, a white person problem. It's not going to change unless white people do something about it, which makes sense. Like, you know, sexism is not going to change if men do nothing about it. Exactly and women right. can't and not gender non-binary people can't do it on their own. Exactly. And so so um, and yet it's not just that it's like our problem to solve or something. It's also our problem, like racism hurts white people too it dehumanizes us it makes us much easier to manipulate yes. um, it interrupts and and precludes relationships that we might have with people of color and native people it makes impossible communities that might exist i mean whole futures that would exist if it weren't for racism and so um so this is our problem uh it's ours to do something about and the only way to move forward uh, is 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 thinking about it. We think about it as a pathway, a daily practice that it's not going to we're not going to solve systemic racism in our lifetimes. I mean, that's kind of the horrifying thing. Resma Menachem says it's actually going to take eight generations, but it's going to take eight generations of millions of white people. Yeah, exactly. really working in earnest to to create change. I think we all know a few families that are maybe two or three generations ahead of other families. We all know in that regard. Oh, yeah, they're way. I mean, families. It sounds like your family was way ahead of my family. Uh, my, my both my parents came from very, very different backgrounds than the kind of people they grew up to be. You know, and like like you said, um, there are two types of white folks. And I would say um, it's like the Passover story. We are all those white folks. Like sometimes I'm the sometimes I'm the anti-racist white folk and sometimes. Sometimes I'm the person who's like terrified and, yeah. and feels guilty and overcome with um, fear and maybe anger, or, you know, because I don't want I don't want this to be my problem. And yet, um, you know, every time I learn some new aspect of, of racism, I have to integrate it into my worldview. And that can be really hard. Um, and so and same thing with families, like sometimes families are anti-racist. Sometimes white families have no idea what we're doing, and it kind of depends on the day and what our how our child is acting. And we and our invitation is is to say to white families and to say to white people, if you messed up today, if you don't feel good about how you know about your anti racist practice today, it's okay. This is not a one and done. Like get up tomorrow <laughs> and do it again, and find a white ally who can support you through this moment where you're like, ah, I'm doing it all wrong. I love it. See, it's like it's it's like a support group for white people who don't want to be dicks. Like, like, I mean, it's and it's so moving in the way that you do it, because if I may, Dr. Bertoli, I know that in all your work, you integrate an understanding of neuroscience. And that is something that really, really is a thread throughout the book. The psychology behind all this, the kind of fight or flight mechanisms that are activated in some of our more conservative loved ones when the R word is mentioned. Uh, I want to just ask on a most basic level to, to dive into it. I mean, what what does psychology have to do with being anti-racist? 
So I always think about the fact that we do anti-racism in the human body. And so our human body is primarily designed for survival. And we have been actually trained by white supremacy that our survival and our safety is tied to abiding by certain principles of racism. And so we have actually trained our body to resist any conversation about race or about uh, anti-racism. And so we enter this conversation with an enormous amount of anxiety and a real sense of taboo that we can and shouldn't actually engage in the in the dialogue. And so our bodies react accordingly. They sort of are there to shield us from having things that they feel are threatening for us. And um Sometimes we think of anti-racism as an intellectual experience, as a yes. something we learn to do. And so we gather all this knowledge, we have all these good intentions, and then we, like myself the other day, go to CVS, I see an interaction that is all racially charged, and I freeze <laughs> because my body hasn't actually agreed with me that wants to do that. And so in a lot of ways, I have to, uh, first of all, recognize that my body is having a flight by freeze reaction, that in fact, in the moment, I am not under threat <laughs> in, a, in my body is okay, uh, calm my body down, and then find a way of re-engaging. But for that, you have to train. It doesn't come naturally. You actually have to train for it. Absolutely. And I think the whole fight, flight or freeze mechanism is, is so amazing to understanding why some white people respond the way they do around other races or around the issue of racism itself. Because uh, it, it, as three white people having this conversation about racism, uh, you know, even folks that the dictionary would describe as racist probably don't view themselves that way. So even mentioning the word or phrases like racial justice, we've all seen it happen with loved ones who might not have any hatred in their hearts, but they get really tense. They get really angsty and they feel under attack. And so much so that we see it in the culture all the time that any suggestion of doing something about the racism that's based into the culture that we've all grown up with, some will respond right away with shrill cries of, you hate white people. And your book is really about how to not just approach that and not really about how to beat it, but how to understand it and nurture something better. Yeah, we really want to interrupt this binary that there are people who get it and people who don't get it, the racist and the anti-racist or the non-racist. And because I really went through that, you know, when people sometimes people feel like they're under attack and really they're not under attack at all. They're just hearing truth and their bodies reacting. But sometimes they are under attack. Like when, when I was in my 20s and I disagreed with my father about stuff and I called him a racist, I was attacking him and I was attacking him because I was the anti-racist. So if he yeah. says something I think is racist, then I am anti him and I need to take That's him right. out in order to prove my credentials. And so it, it changes. I'm not approaching him from a desire to support him to learn. I'm approaching him from a desire to use him as a prop in my yep. own self-image maintenance as somebody who's trying to be anti-racist. And so our goal is to support white people to reframe that and think, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how many times I call my dad a racist, my incredible, loving, wonderful dad who's trying to learn and who has changed so much over the last 20 years, if all I do is call him a racist and knock him out in that one hot moment, then it's like the gig is up. There's no, there's no yeah. more, there's no Where more do you go? There's no progress from there. Exactly. He's going to dig strategic. in against you and yeah, you'll be his antagonist. You'll be his opponent. You'll be more convinced than ever that his take is the right one. Cause it's exactly, it, it's exactly. So what do we do? We just ignore when he says something racist. No, but we approach him from the question 
how do I support you to take your next step on an anti-racist path? And it could be that, you know, I want you to be at 100 yesterday because that's where people of color and Native people need us to be. And you're at step three. You can't be at step 100. But I, as as somebody who you trust and love, except when I call you a racist, <laughs> uh, you you might be, be willing to walk with me from step three to step four and step four to step five. But that's kind of my hard work as somebody who's a white person trying to be anti-racist to lean into other white people and say, you know what? At the end of the day, I can I can yell at other white people all I want. We're still white people in a racial hierarchy that puts white people first. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't change the, the system. And ultimately, if our goal is to shift the system, I need to get more white people to consider this part of their own personal path and then to do the work in their own spheres of influence, which is what I see today with my parents, friends, siblings. I mean, I didn't grow up with any of this stuff, but slowly through through talking about it, questioning it, relationship building, I see white people in my life all over the place taking action in, in ways I never could have imagined. Indeed. Dr. Bartoli, did you want to jump in? I wanted to say that um, the irony of this, especially for the for, uh, you know, the white people, those of us who get so stuck over and over again in our sense of uh, of, of um, and our fear of doing the wrong thing is that we get so defensive because, in fact, ironically, we want to do the right thing. We actually don't want to be racist. And so when we do step into a situation where we are confronted with the reality, we're embedded in a system that is not fair, we mm -hmm. feel the pinch or we call it moral injury. We have violated our own moral code and we don't actually have a and we're not taught enough skills and emotional regulation to be able to move through that moment, process what's happening, and actually come back to an action that's much more aligned with our values. Um, so we, in fact, can do that. We just stop ourselves from doing it. Uh, you know, uh, what I like about the book is that it encourages white people to uh, to support and challenge rather, as you say, than judge, shame or compete with white people who might lack a certain racial awareness. And one of the important tools that you lay out is how it is important for white people to talk about race with white people. I always found the whole notion of uh, the colorblind society to be sort of uh, the opposite if we're looking for a color conscious society. Yeah. And it's amazing when you think about having a colorblind society at the national level. So you have tons of white people who were socialized to be colorblind. I mean, that was really how yeah. I was taught by my community. It was and taught then to be I virtuous, taught to be virtuous. Exactly. And then I carry that in my body. And so when I start talking about race, I feel embarrassed. I feel like I did something wrong, not because I always did something wrong, but because I'm doing something I was taught not to do. Then you have folks growing up becoming lawyers, lawmakers, policymakers, occupying the Supreme Court and saying, no, we should be colorblind. And we're completely unable to navigate racial stress or undo some of the racial damage, the, the, the creation of the racial hierarchy yeah. that we have in our society, because at every level we're saying, no, we're colorblind. We're not seeing but that's, race. But that's the irony, right? I mean, that's the irony that that, you know, a generation ago being colorblind. Well, that was considered anti-racism. Now we understand that for a lot of our loved ones saying I'm colorblind is a way of saying I'm willfully blind to racial injustice that persists. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and at this, at, you know, I think a lot of white people who say I'm colorblind are trying to do the right thing, trying to be good people. But one of the things I've learned, um, partly from Alicia Garza's book, is that in the 1980s, it wasn't just an accident that people thought that was the way to be good. That was coming from the Reagan government. There was like a real attempt to, to smear the black nationalists who were um, engaged in different racial justice campaigns at that time. And so the idea that it's racist to talk about race was not something my parents just made up. It was, if you will, trickling down. And yeah. today we have the same thing happening. We have this very overt, well-funded, anti-critical race theory campaign yes. that is national. It's not complex. It's not deep, but it's playing on people's fears of talking about race. And what is trickling down to your average white person is, oh, it's bad to talk about race. They shouldn't make us do this. It sh it's wrong. And I think there are a lot of white people out there who kind of know that's not quite right, but the conversation is scary enough that it's easy to just let it lie and say, yeah, it's okay. I'm, I'm, it's not that big a deal to have laws that make it illegal to talk about race or gender identity or social emotional learning. Exactly. And, and as you point out in your section called the realities, number two is we will make mistakes and we need to learn to fall and recover quickly so that we can learn from them and keep going. Uh, before I let you go, and I thank you both, I'd like to have you both back as half an hour is not enough time to discuss this book. So please come back and talk to us even more. Uh, I just want to, uh, to ask you, what are you seeing out there that is giving you hope? in terms of how Caucasians are navigating this terrain and uh, trying to get better? So even though I don't always love the question of what can I do about racism, because sometimes from white people it's more of a panic question of uh, not really wanting to grapple with the fact that it's such an enormous problem, I also see an earnestness around wanting to get involved and people are willing to take a lot more risk and it feels much more dire and urgent to move forward. And so that's really, and I see the younger generation also not putting up with certain things anymore. So that's really hopeful to me. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the multiracial marches after George Floyd was killed, there are so That's many right. white people saying, I believe Black Lives Matter. This is not right. I don't I don't want a government that kills my fellow citizens and black people are my fellow citizens. And and that gives me hope. And I think we wanted to create this book because we believe in those voices. We believe in those people. And we think we deserve more than just kind of the paralysis that comes from guilt and shame and needing to compete and needing to get it all right. And we're saying, you know what, let's interrupt these dynamics because we've all got something to give and we're all needed. Dr. Ali Michael, Dr. Eleanor Bartoli are the co-authors. The book is Our Problem, Our Path, Collective Anti-Racism for White People. This is such a smart and moral document. Please uh, come back and see us again, doctors, anytime you're willing to. We'd, I'd love to continue this conversation. We would love that. Thanks, John. It's three Thank white you. people talking about racism. Who wouldn't love that? Thank you so much. <laughs> we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Sirius XM. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Fox News, owned by a guy who's cut Trump loose in the pages of the New York Post and Wall Street Journal, is going overboard to play up the outrage. And that's why we're so glad to get the great Angelo Carasone, president and CEO of Media Matters. Angelo is a recognized authority on right-wing extremism and the Fox-Trump feedback loop. Follow him at GoAngelo on the socials. Angelo, welcome back to the show. I was so glad we had you on tonight. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So let's dive right into it. Um, Fox dove right into action, uh, denounced this very, very legal thing that was in no way a raid. And it seems like uh, a lot of funds were raised today and a lot of right wing figures went all in before knowing all the facts. Yeah, of course. And my I would start by pointing out that there was a fairly robust and significant discussion throughout the day on that point about knowing the facts. Uh, where multiple Fox News hosts attacked the rest of the news media for saying this was a big deal or that it is significant because they don't know the facts. They said, you know, how could they say this is significant that that the former president had a search warrant? They don't know all the facts. How dare mm-hmm. they cover this? In fact, they were literally using the exact argument you made um, to chastise both press, journalists, talking heads, everybody for discussing it. Um, and I thought that it is quite incredible when you think about it, because they then proceeded to spend a pretty significant amount of time, um, one, claiming that Joe Biden was in on it, that he yes. was somehow in cahoots, uh, that he was a grand puppet master, which is remarkable how quickly they went from <laughs> that the president, you know, President Biden is sick and he's decrepit and he's not in charge to he's actually a criminal mastermind who has been able to really play a long game here to put that judge in place. If, uh, if I may, don't forget, these are the same people please. who told us that Barack Obama was an amateur in way over his head and a socialist mastermind. So, yeah, would they can carry those two thoughts at once. Yeah, they can. And I mean, and, and I would say that that is like even the more milder things that they pointed out, because I if I broke up that I was trying to think about, you know, when you try to navigate the right wing infrastructure They say a lot of stuff, you know, um, but they tend to fall into pretty discernible categories, even if they're slightly different flavors, you know. Um, And mostly what I would say is that it kind of fits into a couple categories. One is to basically deny, right, to say that there's nothing substantial or significant here. Um, The other is to deflect. So they spend, you know, some programs today have spent as much time or more talking about Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden as they talked about the, the raid, uh, as, as an example of, of something that should have happened. Well, Hunter Biden's um, going to have to pay for this, Angelo. Hunter Biden's you know. going to have to pay. Um, and, uh, and so you, know, you got you got deny or dismissal. You got uh, deflect. And then the last is, is, is revenge. Um, and that's been a big through line, too, which is that this is all going to be um, that this is going to get, you know, we're going to get revenge here. And then the, the last part that I would just add is that there's this undercurrent of of this this notion that it actually is an example of how powerful Trump is. So there's been some commentary that um, some people expressing surprise and shock that he handled the documents so well. He said, well, can you believe he had them in a safe? So what the hell? Look how much, look how great, he took such care of these materials that he even put them in a safe. 
even though he had all this security, wow, that's more than I would have expected him to do. Um, or so complimentary um, or, you know, that's minor. But then the big right. one is that he's just that this is an illustration of him as a powerhouse. And that uh, in some ways they're taking this as uh, a sign that he's, you know, that they're trying to take him out. And that, yeah, I it's just been hard to watch all of this when it's juxtaposed with like 10 days of coverage of how the Murdochs and Fox News have turned on Trump. And, well, but that's it, right? That's why it's know? fascinating because, I mean, the Murdochs are in the same position as the Republican establishment. They right. can't stand the guy, but they can't alienate his army. I mean, they created this vast Frankenstein monster of a low voting information block, and the monster found a mad scientist it liked better than Fox News and the Republicans. And now they're trying to coax the people back while getting rid of Trump. It just seems like they're all caught in the same position. Yeah, they are. And like if there was ever going to be a moment to test whether or not they had turned on him, this would have been it. Right. To just say, well, it's just not worth the trouble. Right. Oh, well, this is not great. You know, Hannity maybe says equal justice under the law a dozen times a day. Um, That's been his big refrain for almost a decade as to why you have to prosecute Hillary and why you have to investigate Obama, why Joe Biden should be in jail. You know, it's this he constantly makes this argument. He says it literally at least a dozen times a day. So. This would be a moment for him to just say, yeah, Trump is great and it's not fair. It's kind of it's kind of messy, but, you know, fine, we can move on or just not do anything. Just do nothing. They didn't even have like it's not a binary choice. Right. They didn't have to attack Trump or fully defend him. They could have literally just done nothing. They could have just played it straight. Yeah. Been like, yeah, that's you it. Know. They could have. You're right. They didn't <laughs> right? have and to. done nothing. And by the way, it's it's anytime I can compliment Tim Scott and Chris Christie, I'll I'll be happy to do that. Tim yeah. Scott and Chris Christie to me are the only Republicans who realize there might be a day after the day after tomorrow where blind obedience and sworn fealty to Trump after all the losses he's handed this party might not be a good idea long term. I mean, they've gone that's, all in except for those two guys. That's right. And that is and it is going to be uh I mean, it's going to be kind of I mean, they're not stuck. I mean, there's not really much. They can't do anything to unwind this at this point. It's sort of like the narrative that they pushed around the election. Right. Which is that they fed their audience so much of this that it doesn't matter what happens at this point. They'll never be able to to not carry this water that they pushed out there. And that, I think, is the part that is incredible about it is that um, they really went. It, it is hard to emphasize how overboard they've gone here in terms of their defense. It's it's substantial. It, though, like, it's it's a little yeah. shocking. I mean, because, it, you know, to me, it, it, it just is. seems like the lady doth protest too much. Right. I, I've, I've made a lot of people mad by saying for a long time that a part of me wants to call the January 6th hearings, Angelo, the committee to elect uh, Ron DeSantis. It just seems like Mitch McConnell's problem is going to get solved. He's going to be able to keep the faithful and get rid of Trump. As he said on January 6th, 2021, let the Democrats deal with the son of a bitch. And that's what they're doing. A lot of Republican witnesses, Republicans on the committee, they're they're all just kind of greasing the skids for Ron DeSantis to come in. And, you know, there's plenty of Republicans who can't stand this guy. And so they they must be talking this through. A lot of them must know that they're lawyers, Angelo. They they know that this this warrant wouldn't have been issued without really ironclad probable cause. Merrick Garland didn't (laughs) play the slow game this long to fuck up and be rash. So it seems like... Some of the smarter ones must know there's going to be more information coming out. Without a doubt. And that is the part about this that I think, to your point, that is significant. I was, you know, aside of trying to make sense of this, the other things I look for are like, 
where are the seeds that are just starting to germinate? What's the sort of, where is this going to go in the next couple of days to give us a sense of just how wild it can get? And to that point, the two things that I think are significant that are on Fox already is um, there's been this sort of undercurrent of claims that the evidence is doctored, that the FBI had secured doctored evidence and gone one step further. They've said, they've claimed on Fox repeatedly that the FBI planted evidence inside Mar-a-Lago to then secure it back. Oh, yeah. So so now if you point to anything, well, that was all fabricated. And then the other thing on the legal side is that they've argued that the judge involved in this was not actually engaging it was not was not doing judge work, you know, but instead right. was a political operative that it is that end is a child molester, um, which is always the whiff. You know, it's like of course, the always. judge is a child molester, a, a, a um, child molester and probably a Marxist too, Angelo, Marxist, oh, yeah, Marxist. At, or at least a groomer, <laughs> at least a groomer. It right. is Florida. That is, you know, like they just really just pepper that in there, just to, just in case the you know the warrant issuing wasn't enough. They just want to make sure everybody on and the Fox audience thinks that the judge is somehow a pedophile. Um, but they've made the <laughs> argument that the judge basically put themselves in a position to become a magistrate, so that they could then execute this sort of revenge plot in cahoots with the FBI and the deep state against uh, against. Against Donald Trump, and from a legal perspective, what they've argued um, is that it wasn't—it wasn't a traditional warrant. Mark Levin literally said, "I am a lawyer and yes. the former chief of staff to the Department of Justice, and oh, I no, can tell you to Edwin Meese. He did just to get the moral it. bona fides. He 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 name dropped right. Meese to show the integrity he was coming from, and he said, I can assure you, this is not a warrant because if it was a warrant, they would be able to release it." Um, and but instead that it's something bigger because a subpoena would have sufficed. And what's amazing about it is that, you know, Trump could have released the warrant. Right. But obviously exactly. he doesn't because it's not helpful he to him. Not and, to. Um, but that's the illegal argument that somehow there's something off about this document. And what 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 Levin's argument is and not just Levin, but then others on Fox echo it because he's the great one. That's what they call him, um, is that. This was actually that this actually came directly from Joe Biden. That's their proof, actually. The proof that Fox argues is that Joe Biden somehow overrode the process to force thing this this raid, which is what they're calling it. So That's it's right. not actually a warrant. There is no warrant. That's what they're saying. That's that there's saying. no actual legal process. And it's yeah. it is this is where it's going. I mean, it's going to be fake doctored evidence. And this wasn't ever a warrant in the first place because it actually was some secret executive order that Joe Biden had issued. Um, and obviously neither of those are true. But this is pretty far out there stuff. Like this is not even for Fox. This is pretty this is a lot pretty fast. Um, well, I mean, and again, they're they're following Trump's lead because, you know, Trump is using this time when the vast majority of us know nothing about this. Again, and I can't stress this enough. It's off season at Mar-a-Lago. There are no guests staying there. The Trump family is not there. There was no raid. The FBI knew in advance they were coming over. It was all cooperative. And we only know about this. Because Donald Trump chose to get ahead of the story and make the announcement. And he's taking advantage of the lack of details to put his spin on all of this and called himself uh, in his statement on Truth Social, a victim of prosecutorial misconduct, which is a dumb lie because prosecutors don't give out warrants. 
But it, it does seem that um, this is going to be a time when Trump can guide the narrative. Rich Lowry, a national review, was saying last night that he was winning the uh, what did he call it? The uh, the the raid uh, primary that right now they're milking it. You know, they fundraised. We'll get the numbers this week, how much mm-hmm. money they've made off this already. What yeah. do you see that looking like, say, a week from now, Angelo, when the shock has worn off? I I think that the one thing that they're building in to give this a little bit of durability, um, aside from just like the pro-Trump sycophancy, there is one thing that is interesting that I think is is helpful in assessing your question, which is that in almost every segment where they talk about this, they always talk about the Inflation Reduction Act and specifically the provision in there that is going to hire all these additional IRS agents. Thank you. And what they basically argue is that the same apparatus that did this thing to Trump now they're going to spend $30 billion hiring all these IRS people to come and do it to you, that they're going to that they're going to come into your safes and your houses and they're going to start poking around in, in search of all these things, that they're all that they're going to get political revenge against all yep. the people that supported Trump. And that, I think, will give this more durability because it's too self-centered. These are all obviously deeply selfish people at the end of the day. And. Making sure that it did, that that part of it is baked in, that they see these two things as one and the same, I, I think is going to give people a little bit more investment than just like, I want to support Trump. And so I think they're going to make a bunch of money off this, obviously raise a bunch of money off of this. But I think they're not going to, I think that gives them a, some real sustainable fuel to really push this out because they can then basically talk about the IRS stuff in a week or two from now in the same way. Uh, and get to the same point without having to even talk about Trump if that's a little bit mm, just not as helpful yeah. for engagement. And I, well, it, I it's yeah. dangerous. I mean, John Neffel has a great piece in Media Matters. Right-wing media's conspiracy theory of a militarized IRS is really about protecting wealthy donors and sponsors from paying higher taxes. And I think you guys yeah. nail it in that piece because all I've seen for a couple of days now are the agents of the right wing talking about, well, it's only in the law says people over 400,000, but this is going to be a tax on the middle class. I've never seen so many non-billionaires so horrified that billionaires might have to pay the same kind of taxes that we pay. Yes. And, you know, the, I always look like, like, what are the intuitive arguments? So one of the arguments I've heard uh, the, the right side pushing is that, you know, if you look, there's only a few hundred billionaires. Why do yes. you need 30,000? Why, why do you need all these agents if there's only a few hundred billionaires? Clearly, they're not going to just go after billionaires. And if you're a Fox you're like, wow, that's pretty compelling. You know, you're right. That is not just I am not one of those. And that is you know, that is where a lot of like, it clearly they ignore the fact that most of it is like tech infrastructure and all sorts of yeah. other basic things. It doesn't matter. Right. Like they yeah. just lie. But um, the, hitching the, the the IRS thing to this Trump thing is is substantial because it does give them the ability to really continue to push on this. Um, it's going to have real staying power because of that, even if but it's and the well's poisoned. You know, we saw we, we had a trial run. We saw what happened when they did when they started pushing election stuff after 2020. Fox News started pushing claims that even One American News started issuing corrections about back in. I mean, because they just got off the rails. They had no choice. And remember, Tucker's off air. Wait till he comes back. He's on vacation right, right now. Oh, I know. Um, oh, you know, I know. It's going to be a fresh cycle. So it's going to it's going to have some potency. This is going to be pretty, pretty rough, honestly. Is, is there not a bit of the GOP's greatest hits in this as well with the IRS outrage? Because let's not forget the fake 
IRS scandal under Barack Obama, which was essentially the same thing. The Republicans played victim because the IRS was trying to go after people that were cheating you and me, those who pay our taxes. The entire Obama thing, there were no conservative groups that ever had to disclose their donors or lose their, uh, their, uh, their status as nonprofits. Liberal groups did, like Emerge America, but no conservative groups did. And for years, they played victim in the Obama IRS scandal. And all it was doing was designed to go after organizations that were cheating on their taxes. And all this is is getting billionaires to stop cheating on their taxes. And it's the same exact playbook. I would point out that the exact to your point, Fox News ran a campaign literally on the homepage of Fox News. And, and multiple weeks encouraging people to file IRS complaints against media matters. And we got audited. We had, uh, we were investigated by that. Now we got cleared. Nothing happened to us because we were clean, but they literally tried. They, uh, and that was under Obama. And like to your point about going into liberal groups, they, they really did. They ran up all these, these, these sort of complaints to the point where they just got so overwhelmed. The IRS responded and they, they just hit a bunch of groups just like they took out acorn, right? It wasn't on IRS stuff, but it was the same thing. They, they went after the infrastructure and they weaponized the apparatus of government to do it. And again, that was under a democratic president, which I think only reinforces how little or how much they actually respect the boundaries of, you know, these independent agencies, but, um, but also how they reflexively think too, which is the part that's scary is that they see them as extensions of power or presidential power, because it's an irresistible temptation when they're in it, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I know. And that, but all they've got is umbrage and code talk. That's all Acorn was umbrage and code talk. That's it. A company that's that right. helps poor people learn how to write resumes to get jobs. And that's who they had to villainize. Totally. It's, um, it's really, I don't know. I mean, I, I've obviously been in this a while, but the, the Fox coverage the last like day has been pretty disturbing. And I well, like, it's 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 really different than normal. And I don't know how why and how fast, except that clearly they they don't. And I think part of it is they don't have a choice. If they didn't react they this way, their audience would have cannibalized them so hard. And I That's think they it. knew that, you know, I always look back to Hannity with the gang of eight immigration deal nine years ago. And Hannity kept yeah. saying it's not amnesty. It's not amnesty. And then the first polls came in and the first focus groups and they saw how much <laughs> the right wing hated it. And the next night. Hannity was calling the bill an amnesty bill. Fox is as terrified of the base as is the Republican establishment. And they're just trying to wrest control of it back from this guy by pretending they care about him. I mean, you have a a great Matt Gertz did a great piece today or yesterday, rather, in Media Matters, where he said, uh, I want to quote him. Fox was created to protect Republican presidents from accountability. The network's propaganda successfully convinced its viewers not to care about a wide array of Trump depravities, including the conduct that resulted in his impeachments for corruptly pressuring a foreign government for political gain and for inciting the January 6th coup attempt. I mean, Angelo, is it at the point where Trump could eat a baby and it wouldn't change the base's opinion about him? No. Yeah, I agree. It would not. Because it's either a grand gambit or it's a hoax. You know, it's not real. Um, uh, Or it's justified, which is the thing that is is newer. You know, in 16, there was this big argument that it was like some big, like even the stuff he did was a little out there. They would say, oh, that's just him joking around. It's his brand. It's a kind of a joke. We're all in on it. They weren't saying it's all justified. Like not, that wasn't the dominant. Now they say it's just saying, well, you know what? If Trump does it, it is justified. Yeah, it's justified. And that's, that is a shift. And, and, to, and that is, I think, the answer to your question. They'll always find a way to, to justify it. It won't matter. And in this case, you know, they are pushing pretty hard on this idea that right after the midterms, there needs to be revenge. Um, And uh, it's different. 
then yeah. then it, it's the closest I've seen is remember back in the day, Clive and Bundy, this guy, that rancher that was like really mad because he got a bill for like yeah. using all these ranching on a place. And the government was Ste- like, hey, steal- again, stealing, bill. stealing you from know? American taxpayers. Yes. Yeah. Like you got to pay. It's really modest. It's pretty actually we give a great deal. Like, but you have to pay it. And like he was like, no, I'm not going to pay. It. And if you make me, I'm going to shoot you. And literally formed a posse and had like a stand, a military stand over the government. Fox News went all in on they they, oh, yeah. they lionized this guy that How was the he last him time pedicures that, that's yeah. it top to bottom they just he was a hero and it didn't matter what i mean there were guns pointed at federal agents yeah. and, and and they were they were cheering this guy on it's like standing up to power and that was like a decade ago and yet and i would say that that was like the last time universally that the entire network top to bottom was like yeah you know what it's okay you can go ahead and take arms if you want I mean, I, w- I would I would disagree. I would say the entire network was yeah. okay and turned a blind eye to the crimes of January 6th and tried to That's minimize true. it. And the You're entire totally right. primetime lineup pushed Antifa, 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 because, right. you know, Antifa right. really You're wanted right. to get Trump installed. But, you know, Angelo, Trump may pay a price for this, but, I mean, the politicians may or may not, but the media culture never does. Sure. Fox News will never pay a price for pushing the lie about WMDs. They sold the Iraq war harder to the American people than any other corporation. Sean Hannity has never paid a price for repeatedly having every crazy racist who said Obama wasn't born in this country on his show. He's never apologized yep. for it. I mean, he'll have George George Zimmerman on and have all those how you holding up champ pep talks. You know, politicians might go away in disgrace. George W. Bush is no longer popular in his own party. But it seems like over the years, Fox News can be so criminally, deeply, amorally wrong on so many issues and there's no accountability for the media, no, except for you guys. Not. No, it's true. There really isn't. And part of it is that they're supposed to be checks on each other to an extent. But Fox has managed to you know, cow them so much. And part of it is that they get a pass. You know, if something brand new emerged that was doing the exact same thing that Fox News did right now, you wouldn't see major Democratic leaders going on there. You wouldn't see major advertising. They wouldn't be profitable. Right. I mean, yeah. the only real difference between One American News and Fox News is that One American News wasn't as big. That's they right. weren't as good. Right. But the content was nearly identical. Right. But they somehow were treated as far out there. And and I think it's like there that this is, I think, part of the, this is a real sentiment that people have about D.C. broadly and the, like sort of the political establishment, the political media establishment in particular is like, yeah, they get a pass. They get yeah. to be part of the press pool. They get to be they get to do their dinners and pretend that they're you know, it's all fun and games. And it's not actually Fox is a distinct and uniquely destructive threat. Lachlan Murdoch terrifies me even more than Rupert Murdoch does. Yeah, and I agree. Because they know they will not have any accountability. That's in fact, it. they have all the more perverse incentive to be even worse because it just means more money and more power. Do you think Trump is going to run again, Angela? Yes. And I think he's going to announce when his plane is ready. I feel like that's the one part of the narrative that people have missed. A big reason why I don't think he's announced yet is actually because his airplanes aren't ready yet. And part of it is the supply chain being so messed up because he he messed it up. I don't think he can plausibly make a plane a place of the ability to run without his plane. He needs that backdrop. I think it's a really important part of his image and branding. Um, I remember when he announced the first time and the paid actors yeah. and like the whole thing. It's like you need it's all stagecraft. It's important. And I really do think that's a, a bigger factor in his decision making than most people are acknowledging is that he doesn't have that plane ready yet. Do you Truly. think he'll be indicted, Angelo? I. I'm very skeptical that he will be. Um, I think that that is, I'm very skeptical that he will be. Um, Unless there's some pretty impressive stuff in what's there. 
I, I just, I'm skeptical. It's going to be a real interesting autumn. Before I let you go, sir, thank you so much for joining us. We so wanted to get your response today because I've tried tuning into Fox News, and it's just, it's 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 so black you could melt a ring in Mordor over there. It's just crazy. Um, let me just ask you something I've never asked you before. What are you optimistic about? What is giving you hope? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, huh, what's giving me hope? Um, I think that... Uh, I think that one thing that is depressing is obviously the state of America. The thing that gives me hope, though, is that America is still in the best place um, comparatively. We just are, you know, is that we now it could be a total mess and a disaster. But we have real challenges, environmental supply chain. The whole world is changing. Everything is changing. Right. I mean, literally every part of what the established order for decades is there is gone is eradicating now. And the only country that has the ability to find some equilibrium and stability in a reasonable timeline, um, when you think about demographics, the economy, every factor, we are genuinely lucky um, as a country and as a people. And our strength is actually the fact that we're so diverse and in theory have so much immigration and a lot of other advantages. So what's hopeful is that at least we have a chance. Um, And that matters to me, because if you didn't have a chance, that's just worse, right? And a lot of places are doomed. Um, And we're not. Uh, Now, we can be, but at least we still have a choice. And that's part of the what is hopeful and partly why I continue to do what I do and, and why I'm glad that others like you uh, continue to sort of, you know, engage without getting super overwhelmed and depressed to the point where you just do something different. You're too funny, yeah. right? Like you could just be a comedian. Uh, and I know. Like, oh, yeah, but I tried you know? most of America's funniest home videos. I tried that. I just cared too much <laughs> about, you know, a vanishing working class. Angela Carasot is president and CEO of Media Matters. Media Matters is a place that will make you feel saner. Trust me, doing the Lord's work every day. Thank you as always for joining us. I can't wait to see how this plays out. I can't wait to see what happens when Donald Trump announces he's running for president before the midterms it's going to be (laughs) then uh, they may actually turn on him (laughs) i know it's going to be a big ball of bad and while he's doing that joe biden will be forgiving student loan debt we got to hit a break we'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748 okay it's time to commit 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Leroy in Minnesota. 
Hey man, I talked to you before. I'm you know, my rapper yeah. office. I'm, I'm a representative of him, soul brother, living in Minnesota for 30 years. I remember. It's I a pleasure there. to have you back, sir. Thank you. Man, I ran for office. I ran for state treasurer in Minnesota, abolished the office. Man, there's no state treasurer's office anymore. It was a wasted office. I did that. But, wow. but I'm, I'm, I've been working in the power industry. You know, I've been a union guy. I'm IBW. And I, it just gets so old talking to my brothers. Tell my me. White, my white, white brothers. Argument to, just, just as I called you tonight. It's like, Hey, man, I work in the power industry. I used to get overtime eight years ago whenever it got 100 degrees, 90 degrees. And then a couple of years, eight years ago, I said, no, man, we ain't got to worry about running coal plants. We got enough solar and wind. That was nine years ago. And, and my union and the company, and, and, and they talked to the stock was telling this guy, I said, hey, man, uh, this, 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 the solar and the wind is where we're going. I mean, we got we got so much productivity. Oh, you know, I said, man. And I, said, well, and I finally said to his brothers, I'm like, when did you stop believing in American exceptionalism? Hmm. That we cannot create a grid. Not about the logical things that I'm just telling you. Those windmills aren't turning at night because we don't we have excess power at night, so we can charge up every damn electric vehicle you need. Right. Those windmills are shut down. We got excess power at night because the grid is you know, we we, we, we there's low demand at night. Right. And and like I said, I like I said, I used to make money when when a coal plant basically a coal plant broke down, we had four gas turbines that were very inefficient that I used to make a lot of money as a young guy working a plant attendant. I would sit out there for twenty four hours just on standby because they needed to support the grid. Right. And a couple of years later, man, you don't need that That's eight years ago. And but now you- it's not even an issue. If our coal plants went down, they were like, Don't worry about them. You guys aren't working overtime. We'll bring them what we came. We'll have to. And I'm telling these brothers, but it's like, my whole issue is That's crazy. Why is popular mechanics and having a Luke Skywalker land cruiser a Republican or Democrat or a green issue? Mm. Why is a green issue left or right? And the Republicans have, they've stolen this, 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 oh, we can't do this. I said, why don't you believe in the, the, the ability of American socialism? Right yeah. now, we have true capitalism working on battery technology. Where these Preach. venture capitalists that's it. are trying to develop that's it. new that's, batteries. That's the future. That's the future of capitalism. That's the rest of the world. That's where the rest of the world society right. is but going. Doing that's here. the future of the world economy. But we have guys who got really rich off of coal in the previous century, and their grandkids are bribing politicians now to make people think coal is viable for this century. Well, I'm talking about. I'm talking about brothers like you. And I'm talking yeah. about the Democratic Party when I'm talking to guys in the street and I work in the power plant. Okay, and they're don't. sitting here arguing with me and, and like, why are you against green energy? I said, what we burn say? garbage. That's what green. they say? It, it, they, 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 well, you know, they, they, they're arguing with me. And I tell them, hey, man, I, and I would lay down all the deals like, man, we got this much deal. We're doing this. And I'm telling you, our stockholders in my company are already saying we're transitioning this. We, we actually we, we want the transmission now. But, you know, I, I, but. But the point is, is for our party to start recapturing the mindset. I don't. I, I, I know. I, I don't know. I know. You got it. You're a media guy. When I'm sitting sure. there talking to these guys, and I said, "Why don't you believe that you got to have an F one fifty to drive ten miles to work? Why are you against an electric vehicle? Yeah. You against yeah. new technology like you're against a horse and buggy, but you only against it because it's it's, it's ideological. It's political. They forget. Like, they you know, know because the media, the media they consume, feeds them this narrative. 
And it's equated with weakness. It's equated with being soft. It's equated with being intellectual or liberal or European or young or, or, you know, educated. And so that's otherizing. That's the fear. The same reason why they but were afraid of we, Obama. We, they were we afraid of electric smart vehicles. on this, brother. We got to be we because it's not about. On this shit because but, it, but it, it's it, happening. I told you, I said, man, my company is doing this irregardless. When, when Trump got elected, my union went to a national goddamn power industry deal. And they said, I'm going to give you what he said. Coal's done. Hmm. We have a coal plant in my in my town that 25 guys run. When I worked in this, another place that was 200, 300 guys run that plant, we produce more electricity in a coal, not coal, but a combined cycle gas plant with 25 people, 700 megawatts. So why would we have a coal plant with coal plant with, you know, takes 300 people to run it, takes, you know, uh, 15, 20 laborers, you know, boiler makers three times a year because it just right. tears the boilers apart, all this work. Right. I'm saying it's just economic. But, oh, yeah. a liberal agenda, you're going you gonna to wreck this deal. And it's like, I just wish the Democrats would be a little smarter. Oh, yeah, our yeah. I know. And they've got to I mean, do it in a way that does speak to working class needs and working class issues because you're right. I mean, the guys who own stagecoaches probably spent a lot of money warning us about the railroads, and now they've been forgotten, but it took a long time to transition. 500,000 charging stations. Biden proposed they're going to put IBW electrical union workers, high skill workers, to work putting work building this infrastructure. That's it. Labor's building uh, uh, stuff. We got pocket nukes that he's talking about. It's a comprehensive green energy. It's not well, we're, we'll drive my truck. It's like man, ain't nobody said you could never drive your gas truck. No one's saying that I mean, at all, I mean, but that's what they hear. That's right-wing media. That's what these poor white people are subjected to all day long, listening to this Fox News garbage. Look what well, happened what do we today. Do? I, I mean, mean, in terms of in terms of technology today, you know, with this with this uh, Chips and Science Act that Biden signed this morning, which got wonderful. no coverage at all. Yeah, but the only coverage is like political saying, well, a long slog to get here. This was bipartisan. This is going to be America leading the way in tech. Micron Technology has already pledged $40 billion into manufacturing. They're going to create 40,000 jobs. Qualcomm and Global Foundries yeah. are doing $4.2 billion in manufacturing, and that's going to be jobs in the U.S. for, for products made in the, and products made in the U.S. for export. Exactly. I mean, I thought that you was know, an so endangered that, so species. What about, about you know, two months ago, and, and I didn't see nothing on the liberal, I should have called up, it was a, through the Edison, uh, not electrical, I don't know the name of the deal, but they, I'm, I'm in the power, so it's, unsubsidized solar was the cheapest energy ever created. Ever in mankind. Yeah. That was came yeah. about three months ago, four months ago. You hear nothing on the blip or nothing about anything we're talking about. It's like, but I got to hear this idiot fool. I'm like, man, you, you're driving a 80,000 F-150 to go 10 miles to work. I ride my 10-speed, 72 10-speed. I said, what are you doing on electric bike? <laughs> You're a 21st century man in a 20th century workplace, and I know how it feels. Uh, Leroy, but I got to hit a break. But, but we should be saying, hey, man, this is new. America can do everything. Well, we can. Well, and by the way, and by the way, that's patriotism. That's real strength. No and, shit. Everything. Why, like I always say, why shouldn't America have the greatest public school system in the world? Why shouldn't America be leading a, a green energy economy? Why shouldn't we be ahead of China? Just revert it all to patriotism and make it seem like they're not patriotic. They're not. They don't believe we. I said, why do you believe we can't do this shit? Yeah. What? What? Why do you think America's not exceptional anymore? I know. Oh, I know. Look at me but, stupidly. Uh, well, because they're Man. taught to hate. They're taught to worship an America that never existed and despise the actual America that the rest of us are fighting for. I got to run, Leroy, but I thank you for All your right, call. Brother, I, I love I you. Thank man. you for love your you, service. Brother. Thank you. Call up more often. <laughs> 